The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Daniel chapter 8 is what we are going to look at today. Uh, that means, uh, well, we have four more weeks of the 9, 10, 11, 12. Yes, four more weeks after this. But I uh, wanted to start off with actually a little bit of a history for you. Pretty excited again? I know you just hear those words and you think, okay, this is great. Uh, oh, boy, I didn't realize how foggy. That, that looked better on my computer. That is supposed to be Jamestown Colony. Does it kind of look like that to you? Okay, that was, uh, now you might remember, you got to go back to history class, you know, school. You might remember Captain John Smith. Remember Pocahontas? Is this coming? Okay, Disney movie, Pocahontas. We got to get a connection here somewhere. But uh, John Smith actually was also a writer. And I wanted to start by reading something that he wrote uh, regarding a dream that he had. So it's a little different here, but I, I wanted to, uh, to read this to you. Uh, John Smith wrote, and he said, I beheld a great eagle. It was majestic, virtuous, prosperous. But this great eagle was hated by the desert snakes. And the desert snakes got together and elected a king. And that king snake sought to destroy the eagle. So he ordered that some of the snakes would ride on vultures and that they would attack the great eagle. First, they would attack from the north, the south. They would attack his talons. The eagle was able to uh, shrug off the attacks. I, he was wounded, but he was able to shrug off the attacks. And then he hunted and he killed the snake king. Now, that was written in the 1600s. Do you see any parallels between that and an event that took place 9-11? Okay. The uh, great uh, eagle, the snake king, uh, the kings, the snakes riding on the vultures, uh, the planes, the attack, the north tower, the south tower, the talons would be the pentagon. He was able then to hunt down, however, and kill the uh, snake king, bin Laden, Two decades later, continuing John Smith, two decades later, okay, anybody ever hear that story before? There's a reason why you've never heard it before. I just made it up this week. Um, it, it, that is not a true story. Um, but it is an illustration that I think you, you need to grab a hold on for a second. Wouldn't that be awesome if that was? <laughs> but the truth is, John Smith was a writer. Uh, however, he did not write that. I, I wrote that this week. Pretty good, huh? Uh, I could have a dream. But uh, the, uh, any, anyway, the reason why I chose that is I wanted to catch your attention with something here. Sometimes when we talk about history, you know, boring, boring history or whatever like that, if we can begin, begin to see history as his story, and if we could see history as God's plan unfolding before our eyes, and what we're going to look at in Daniel chapter 8 today is very similar to the story I just told you in that it was written 400 years before something happened. And that which happened fit every exact detail in amazing fashion. 
So as we read and we look at the story in Daniel chapter 8, I want you to see that you know, this was written, the first verses of Daniel chapter 8 tell us it was written during the time when Babylon was still in charge. So it was before the Persian Empire, it was before the Greek Empire, but he is going to describe those empires in incredible detail. And I hope this catches your attention and says, hey, wait a minute, that's amazing that 400 years before this, God gave him this dream. And we'll look at some of the application of that. Now, like we did last week, before we read in the text, uh, we're just going to kind of set up what that vision is that he saw. Uh, The Scripture tells us that Daniel had this vision, and he woke up, and first of all, he said, I saw a ram. Okay, and this ram had two horns, one was stronger than the other. Now, you might remember us talking about this. The empire of the Medes and the Persians, two horns, the Medes and the Persians, one was stronger than the other. Last week, we talked about the bear that was lifted up on one side because the Persian empire was stronger than that of the Medes, and it gave us that picture of this empire that came to power. After, however, the Persian Empire, by the way, uh, the, the Scripture doesn't leave us wondering in verse number 20. It tells us very clearly that this is the Persian Empire. Uh, that, you know, Daniel in the t- interpretation tells us that. We're going to read that later. Uh, but he says, after that ram comes a goat. And that goat, as you can see in the picture here, has this, this one great horn. And this goat is going to come from the west, and he's going to conquer with incredible speed. And again, this perfectly describes Alexander the Great. And this one great horn that he he had, you know, and the kingdom of which he conquered everything so quickly is amazing. All right. So we have that. And then what the story goes on to say then is out of this horn was broken. And remember, Alexander the Great did not rule very long. He died at the age of 33. This horn was broken, and then four other horns replaced him. We know from history that after Alexander the Great, the the Grecian Empire was somewhat divided between four generals, okay? And uh, I I mean, I can remember that actually from my world history class, that four generals took over. Uh, Verses 21 and 22 had described that this definitely was Greece. But I want to go back and I want to read verse number 9 just for a second here. And it describes, it talks about these four horns. Uh, After it says there was these four horns, it says one of them, came a, uh, I'm sorry, out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south. So one of these generals is going to extend the kingdom southward towards the east and towards the glorious land. In other words, one of these generals is going to rule over the land of Israel. Okay, one of them is going to be the the king in this area. And this particular one uh, had an incredible hatred for the people of God. And history tells us that his name was Antiochus Epiphanes, okay, or Antiochus IV. He took the title Epiphanes, which has the idea of divinity in it or greatness. He gave that to himself. He was pretty impressed with himself. But he ruled over his kingdom. He moved it to the south, and he took over the land of Israel. And some of you might remember this part. It's recorded in some extra-biblical books called the Book of the Maccabeans, but the history is written in there. And... uh, in there, it tells us in great detail of what he did as far as uh, he came in and he oppressed the people of God. Over 100,000 Jews were killed. Uh, he tore down the temple. He set up a temple to Zeus. He slaughtered a pig and brought the blood in to uh, what is called the abomination of desolation there. Uh, but he, he takes over and, again, just total disrespect for God and God's people. And that, uh, again, 
400 years before, Daniel beautifully described this. Now, the Bible makes it clear that this guy was incredibly prosperous. You looked at him, and it looked like he was a great success. Isn't that tough when we see the enemies of God succeeding? Okay? And that's something that is very clear here in Daniel chapter 8. Now, we're going to go on, though. I want to begin reading in verse number 14. And before we get in the interpretation, I need to pause a little bit at verse number 14 here because this verse carries with it, I think, a caution. He said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Okay, Daniel, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't set that up very well, uh, is receiving the interpretation. Angel, he says to him, uh, you are going to have 2,300 days, a little bit over six years, you're going to have when the temple is destroyed and then it's going to be restored. Okay, I'm sorry. Some people misunderstood this text. And I wanted to tell you about this as, as kind of a caution because some decided to say, hey, this 2,300, that's actually years, okay? And they took that and they said that the temple, uh, this is going to happen 2,300 years from now. And what they said is that is the day when Jesus is coming back and they set up the Lord's return. Now, I wanted to tell you this because you may have heard of this from history. There was an event that was known as the Great Disappointment. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. But Christians, they had followed the teachings of a guy by the name of William Miller, and they said, hey, this guy has told us that Jesus is coming back this day. You might have heard of this. They sold everything that they had or gave it away, and they went up and they waited on a hill for Jesus to come back. Okay, I just want to tell you, if I ever tell you to give everything away, sell everything you have, and come wait with me on a hill, that is time to... Send me off to pasture, okay? Uh, you don't want to do that. And they didn't want to do that. Can you imagine you know, trying to ask for your stuff back? Uh, <laughs> I could really use my stuff back. Uh, as it turned out, we were wrong about the day Jesus was coming. But that event uh, actually launched a couple of cults, including the Watchtower Society, Jehovah's Witness, because people became very disillusioned with this. So you want to, I say that to say we want to be very careful about biblical interpretation. I talked about that last week when you're talking about prophecy. We, want, we don't want to be, get so caught up in getting every little detail that we miss the overall picture, that we miss the significant things. Okay, but anyway, let's, let's go on with the story. It says, when I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me no, uh, one having the appearance of a man, and I heard the man's voice between the banks of the Eula, and it called Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. Okay, it says, Gabriel talked to him. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened, and I fell on my face, which is a good response. Uh, but he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And that phrase, that idea is going to come up a little bit in the beginning. Uh, this, so this vision that he had that has to do with Rome, I'm sorry, has to do with Persia and Greece, uh, also has a reference to the very end times, okay? And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face towards the ground, but he touched me and made me stand up, and he said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be in the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time at the end. It refers to that. As for the ram you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. That's Alexander the Great. 
And as for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. Okay, none of these generals are going to be as great as Alexander was. They don't have his power. And at the end, the latter times of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, okay, incredible arrogance, bold face, one who understands riddles, he's smart. He shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. Okay, there's going to be somebody else that is giving him his power. Okay, now again, remember the prophecy told us this is not only about what is happening back in ancient history. This is also about the future. There will arise one who has a power not of his own. There will arise one that has the power of the evil one. And he shall cause fearful destructions and shall succeed in whatever he does. Okay, he's going to be very prosperous. And destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. He's going to come after God's people. By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind he shall become great. So he'll call himself Antiochus Epiphanes. He has become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many. He shall even rise up against the prince of princes. He's going to go against God and his people. But that next phrase, and he shall be broken. But by no human hand, the vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true. But seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. I'll finish that in a, in a, in a moment here. Read up till the end of the chapter. But uh, as I mentioned... There is a, if you want to say there is an immediate fulfillment or a soon fulfillment, I should have said not immediate, and then there's a latter fulfillment involved here. And this guy, this Antichios Epiphanes, really does give us a picture or he gives us a preview of the Antichrist. Now, I mentioned last week, I will not be predicting who the Antichrist is. Some of you old-timers, you might remember when they thought they had it narrowed down. Does anybody remember? You've got, you got to be as old as I am, I think. Does anybody remember when they said Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist? Anybody remember that? Some of you? All right. Meeting your old, old age, he was the Secretary of State, and he was going to be the Antichrist. Okay, and then they had another guy. I don't know if anybody remembers, a Juan Carlos of Spain. They had these writings, and they said, you know, that he was going to fit the profile, and he was going to rise up and be the Antichrist. I mentioned last week, I will not be predicting who the Antichrist is. Uh, is he alive today? Possibly, I do not know. I'm not going to say anything like that. But there is definitely, if you see in this picture, he is going to be somebody, comes from the West. He is going to be somebody who is a charmer. He is going to somebody who succeeds in everything that he does. He's also going to use force. But one thing else is true, he is going to hate God and his people. Okay, and you're going to see that. And someday, this man will rise to power. We have a preview of him in this Antichios fella. Okay? Now, I'm go ahead and read the last verse here. Oh, I'm sorry. We're already there. And I, Daniel, was overcome. Here's how he responds. I lay sick for some days. Then I arose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. What I want to take our, our moments that we have left and, to, and talk to you about today is the purpose of Daniel chapter 8, how it impacts our life. Okay, why is it important uh, that we look at and we understand what was going on there and we, and we think about the whole idea of prophecy? Because to get you interested in prophecy is great, okay? To get you thinking, hey, Jesus could come back at any time, great, that's good. But not if it produces you want to go out and wait on a hill somewhere. 
But if it produces and drives us to activity, action, and service, uh, then we definitely want to follow that path. Having interest is good, but it should produce activity. Having that paper would be nice in a few minutes, so I'm going to pick it up. Uh, there we go. But uh, so... As, as we look at the purposes of chapter 8, one of the things that I hope that it will do for us is it will fertilize our confidence in the Word of God. Now, I'm going to take just a few minutes here today and try to cover something that could be a week-long course, okay? Try to cover something real fast because I think this idea of restoring and building and fertilizing and growing our confidence in the Word of God is crucial because the Word of God is constantly under attack, Okay, and they're always trying to undermine it. So I wanted to share this with you real fast as to some reasons why, personally, I believe we can trust the Word of God. Okay, the first T up there says the word tests. And this, this one is kind of complicated. I'm going to try to give it to you real fast. Any of the works of antiquity, any of the writings of ancient history that you study, the works of Homer, the works of um, Herodotus, the works of Caesar, any of those guys that write and the things that we accept as history, when they test them out to see if they can trust them, what they look for is the number of manuscripts that are available and how close those manuscripts are to the event. Does that make sense? So they find the ancient manuscripts and we say, oh, we have a lot to support this, and then it's actually close to when it happened. It wasn't written 2,000 years later when the story could change. It was written very close to the time it happened. Josh McDowell has done a lot of work on this. I don't have time to present it, but I want to tell you, I can say with great confidence, that the Bible blows away any of those other works that I mentioned. Herodotus is known as the father of history. The Bible has multiple times more manuscripts and much closer to the events of Herodotus, of Caesar, of Homer. Uh, actually, Homer's I think, is the one that's closest to, to the Bible, but none are very close to the Bible. The Bible passes the test of historical literature. Okay, the Bible also, of course, is incredibly reliable. The more we learn about geography, it is reliable geographically. The more we have learned about history, there have been times when they said, oh, this group of people did not exist in history, and then history finds out they did. And the more we learn about history, the more we find out how reliable the Bible is. It is also very reliable scientifically. The more we learn about science, the more it matches up with the Bible. Okay, and I, and I don't want you to think in saying that, that, uh, okay, so this guy's a science hater because I heard, you know, I heard you either follow the Bible or you follow science. And as I have mentioned before, that is actually one of my big pet peeves. Uh, just understand this, and it's not because I'm anti-science. I wanted to read you a quote about science. If I could, that's what was flying down there in my paper there for a second. Here's a quote about science. We need to remember that science is a self-correcting process, okay? You may believe something for a while, and then you get more data, and it is only appropriate that you change what you believe when you receive the additional data. As you learn more and more, you've got to continue to evolve, okay? Science is a self-correcting process. Now, you say, okay, Pastor, where'd you get that? Some crazy Baptist preacher made that up because he's attacking science, Okay, I'm going to tell you who said that in a second, but I have to ask that there be no cheering and there be no booing because it is a rather controversial figure. That was actually a statement that was made this past Wednesday night on MSNBC on a show by Nicole Wallace. She was interviewing a guy. I don't know if you've heard of him. Apparently, let's see, he's the director of the National Institute for Allergies and Infectious Diseases. 
He's the chief medical advisor to the President of the United States. His name is Anthony Fauci. That is a direct quote. I listened to it. I copied it down. He said, science is a work in progress. Okay, he said it is self-correcting, and I, if I had to, I'm going to applaud, I'm not going to applaud, but I would applaud exactly what he said because he's got it down. And please, I want to give one more illustration because I don't want to come across as somebody who doesn't believe in science. Uh, two weeks ago, or I'm sorry, yeah, I had to go in for my CDL physical. By the way, they said my eyes were 20-20. They need a new machine, but uh, but but anyway, anyway, they, uh, they I went in and got my little physical. Well, when I, whenever I fill out the little forms, I told you before that back in the eighties, my spleen my spleen went to be with Jesus. <laughs> I told you that. I don't really know if that's how that works, but I don't have a spleen anymore. Uh, so I write it down on the little form, and he said he was looking at that, and he said, "Have you got such and such a shot?" And I explained to him, I said, well, when I first lost my spleen, they told me to get a shot, and I got the shot. Then I went in 10 years later when I was supposed to to get the shot, and they said, oh, we don't do that anymore. Then I went in about 10 years later, and they said, oh, we do that again. In fact, you need it every five years, so I got the shot. Uh, and then he said to me, yeah, actually, that's not even the same shot that we give now. Uh, we give a different shot. Now, please, I do not say that in any way to mock this doctor, but I looked at him after he said that, and he said, yeah, I know, it'll change again. <laughs> I said, okay. Uh, now, again, please, I'm thankful for, for, for medicine. I'm thankful that there's a guy a whole lot smarter than me that could take out my spleen. Otherwise, I'd have died in 1985 and never met my kids and somebody else be kissing my wife for the last 35 years. I'm glad uh, they were there uh, to keep me alive. Okay, so please don't think I'm attacking in any way that. But I, what I'm saying is, I think Dr. Fauci had it perfectly right when he said, hey, this is self-correcting. We keep learning more and more. And what I'm telling you is, the more and more science learns, the more it matches up with the Bible. The Bible is reliable. And what I'm also telling you is, therefore, I would not worship science, quite frankly. Okay, again, respect, honor, but um, wouldn't worship it. Okay, I'm sorry, that's, that's reliable. Let's go on. It's unique. The Bible is unique. Do you know that the Bible is the number one bestseller of all time? Wait a minute. I don't mean it's the number one bestseller if you collect all the years together. I mean every year the Bible is the number one bestseller. Did you know that? Every year. Okay, they don't put it on the you know, New York Times bestseller list because it's just kind of a given thing. It's going to sell every year. So it is unique in its circulation. It is definitely unique in its survival because it has been attacked and burned and tried to destroy over centuries, and yet it has survived. And what we're really talking about today is this fourth point, the signature of God. The signature of God is fulfilled prophecy. And when you read Daniel chapter 8 and you see exactly how he laid out everything concerning these kingdoms for 400 years later, I mean, think Think about if my little John Smith story that I made up was true. You'd be like, what else did John Smith have to say? He, he nailed that 9-11 thing perfectly. I can't, I can't wait to hear, hear some more. And that's exactly what I'm saying here is because the Bible's prophecy of times that have already passed have been so perfectly fulfilled, we can trust the Bible. And the last one, when I wrote the word testimony there, it is... It, it is either the strongest argument for the Word of God or the weakest. If you... Uh, say, I don't really care about this, or you know, you're not going to prove anything to me, it might be the weakest argument, but for somebody who has experienced the power of the Word of God in their lives, who has seen it transform their lives, whose truths have revolutionized their whole life, that to me is the most powerful argument, is what I've seen the Word of God do in my life. So I want us, first of all, to take Daniel chapter 8 and, and have it fertilize 
our confidence in the Word of God. The second thing I hope it does is it produces an urgency about the king's business. In other words, we're not going to go out and sit on a hill and wait. Okay? Daniel, now, hey, listen, excitement is great. To be excited, to be looking forward to Jesus coming, we want that. But look at Daniel's response if you look back to that last verse. It's like he's heartbroken at what's coming. And, folks, if we understand Bible prophecy, there is great reason to be heartbroken about what is coming. Okay? And, therefore, increased in passion about the king's work. That becomes a much greater priority when we understand prophecy and we understand what is coming. A third thing that Daniel chapter 8 reminds us to do is that we need to prepare for the second coming of Jesus by trusting in what he accomplished in the first coming. You got a bomb shelter? I'm, I'm not really asking. Well, yeah, I kind of am because I don't. Uh, and if I ever need one, if you got a, you know, if got that uh, food supply of freeze-dried foods and everything like that, you might hear my wife and I knocking on the door. Uh, you want to get one of those keyholes so you know it's us and keep it shut. Uh, but uh, yeah, we don't. You know, did our power go out this morning? Never mind. Uh, personal question. We'll have that later. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it, we, you know, survival skill, you know, I'm not really ready to survive. Maybe you are. Maybe you have a bomb shelter. If you are, that's good. I don't think this is an admonition to do that. You can if you want. And like I said, I'll come knock on your door someday maybe. Uh, but it, it is not saying, hey, this is how we get ready for Jesus to come back. Make sure you have enough food and everything like that. I think the most important way to get ready for Jesus to come back and for the end times is to trust in what he did the first time that he came. And that is the message that we want to proclaim with urgency, is that the way to be ready for the return of Christ is by trusting in what he accomplished the first time he came. What he accomplished the first time he came is that the Son of God came, walked amongst men, took upon human flesh, lived his life on this earth, lived a perfect, sinless life upon this earth so that he could lay down that life as a sacrifice. No one else could ever pay that price, but Jesus Christ lived perfectly. He did not owe a debt himself for sin, for he had never sinned. So he laid down his life as a sacrifice offering for the sins of the world, and that means the sins of moi, me, and the sins of you. Okay? And he said, trust in me, believe in me, there is no amount of preparation that gets us, uh, physical preparation that gets us ready for heaven. That work was completed by Jesus Christ. Okay? His death was sufficient to pay for the sins of man. His death was sufficient to pay for my sins, though they be many. His death was sufficient to pay for your sins. And what he said is, trust in me. Trust in me. Believe in me. Believe that I came to save you. The day I did that, honestly, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I bowed my head, and I said, God, I'm not sure exactly what I'm saying. But, in fact, here's kind of a weird, weird thing that we're talking about today. People had been talking to me about end times and prophecy and everything like that. And I said, God, I, I don't understand all that. But, uh, but I, I really sense that if you were to come back right now, I'm not ready. God, I need a Savior. I know I've sinned. 
and I need to trust in you for forgiveness of sin. That is how we prepare for the end times. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, hopefully, hopefully it does because, you know, when you first read Daniel chapter 8, you say, okay, you know, what, is there a sermon in here? It's about goats and, and uh, rams and, and all this stuff. And, you know, it's kind of a history lesson. But I hope you get a hold of it and just realize that it, it makes it so that we can have a greater confidence in the Word of God because we can watch that this prophecy has already been fulfilled. And we watch Daniel's reaction at the end and he gets up and, he's, and he says, I got to go back to work. Okay, I got to go back to work. This isn't time to sit around. This isn't time to twiddle my thumbs. This isn't time to wait on a hill. This is time to serve and go forward. And I hope we take Daniel chapter 8 and move forward with it. Now, normally at this time, I would say, hey, the worship team's going to come back up. But Jeremy's off teaching the teens. And I didn't ask Jen if she could lead on her own. So it'd be kind of rude to ask her now. Uh, so we won't do that to her. Uh, do you play the guitar? Piano, though, don't you? Oh, a little bit. Okay. Uh, forget I said that. So uh, anyway, we're, we're not going to get to, uh, or we're not going to close the song today like we, we usually do. Uh, so I'm just going to close in a word of prayer. But before I do, I, I just want to, um, a song we sang at the very beginning, I'm not enough unless you come, would you meet me here today? I'd like you to kind of ask yourself this question, God, why did you have me meet you here today? What's the point? And, uh, and try to see what his, his spirit communicates with you. Uh, is it because, <laughs> like that time I got down beside my cot, he, he wants you just to turn to him and trust him? Um, I don't know. But as I pray, I encourage you to pray that prayer to God. God, why did you have me meet you here on this day? Our Father, <sighs> yeah, I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning, Lord. I'm not enough. Uh, there's no type of speech, uh, no words that I can say that will draw a heart to you. That's something that your spirit does. And I ask for his continued ministry in our lives. Lord, for those who came and just uh, maybe they, they needed to have their confidence in your word fortified today. Maybe it's been shaken. Lord, maybe... <laughs> They need to prepare, and they need to prepare by trusting in the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Lord, I don't know what it is, Lord, but I know that those are not things I can accomplish. So I yield, surrender, and beg for your spirit to continue working in our lives, take the truth of your word, and powerfully transform us in a way that goes far beyond these doors that we're going to walk out of here in a few minutes. I ask this, Father, in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.